0: Welcome to another edition of the High Stakes Diaries. I am your host Peter Overzet, and I am joined by my co-host, fresh off of his week-long trip to Espana, Barcelona. Do you have a
1: lift now, Pat? (laughs) I do not. No, I do not. Uh, No, and I have a whole rant about how I find it very pretentious when people pronounce it Barcelona, Uh, because you know you don't. Where's the Eiffel Tower, Pete? Where's the Eiffel Tower? Paris. Right, exactly. It's not in Paris. It's in Paris. We we pronounce it Paris. We can pronounce it Barcelona.
0: Oh, see, but uh, I, you tried to set me up, and I actually did the thing you didn't want me. to you do. You did the thing. So. Well,
1: yeah, but, but you did, but you did it in a little voice, so I feel like you actually came through for me in a way. Um, How was your trip? It was great. No, it was awesome. We uh, we saw during uh, during the game Sunday. We talked about this last week. Uh, you were joking around that I was watching Red Zone while I was uh, watching Barcelona, um, the the football team. Uh, and uh, I wasn't able to stream Red Zone, but that, that's only because uh, that, that service isn't available over in Spain. I, I probably would have been streaming it on my phone because the games were occurring at the same time that I was watching Barcelona play. They ended up tying 2-2 with a far inferior team, uh, Girona. Um, I think they were just recently promoted, so they were uh, pretty heavily favored, expected to win, but they ended up tying 2-2, but we did get to see, uh, two goals on our end of the stadium, we had pretty good seats, one of which was a messy goal, so exciting stuff, and just a ton of good food and drink overall, so a lot of fun, just like a quick little five-day trip, but good times.
0: you know that, uh, that it, it came at a cost, right, your trip to Spain, let yeah. Me t- let me tell you what happened when you left the country. We <laughs> dropped to one and two. We suffered oh, a so loss. To the team here. And we lost our starting and only quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, to a season ending injury. And we lost our sixth slash seventh round running back, Rex Burkhead, to a season ending injury. And this all happened while you were gallivanting about yeah. Barcelona. <laughs> what do you have to do to defend yourself here?
1: I mean, I obviously am absolutely critical to our team, and I, I can't abandon it anymore. So, you know, I can't defend myself except to say that I had no idea how important I was to the club, and, and now I'll take it more seriously.
0: Yeah, so needless to say, you left this team in shambles, and since you've come back, I've been trying to pick up the pieces and getting us back into uh, a winning you know, mindset. And to do this, my first mode of business was, hey, we need to find a new quarterback. We don't have Jimmy Garoppolo anymore. And there you know, there's some decent quarterbacks on the waiver wire. You know, you have your streamers, your Ryan Tannehill, your Joe Flacco's, your Case Keenums, but there's one guy that stood out that seemed like he could have the upside of a guy that could be a league winner, and that is Baker Mayfield. Pat, before we get into kind of how we went about bidding on him, what are your thoughts just on Baker in a vacuum the rest of the season?
1: No, I, yeah, I like Baker. I think I, I've i been – we were talking about this last week actually that, you know, it's how ridiculous is it that, uh, you know, it take the coach getting fired or an injury just to get the number one pick on the field. And uh, I guess it did take, take the injury, right, for him to get in the game. Um, but luckily it's not – You know, taking that uh, for them to just name him the starter going forward. So I'm excited that he's going to be the starter. I think that's the right move. I'm excited to watch him as a football fan. I think he'll be good for the Cleveland offense. And as a fantasy play, I think I'm a little less optimistic than you are just because he's a rookie quarterback uh, or on a team that, you know, I'm still not super confident in in terms of the coaching. There are weapons there, though. He does get you some additional value on the ground. Um, I think he can, you know, in the best case scenario, move the offense enough and and, and pick up. uh Pick up some extra points on the ground, and you know maybe get some get some touchdowns with the the weapons they have there. So you also have a running back passing weapon, Duke Johnson, which I think has been underutilized this season. Maybe that maybe he's utilized a little bit more, and that that helps in Mayfield too. So overall, I think I don't really know if I would categorize him as like a league winner type, but he could certainly be a team stabilizer at that position, allow us to not just have to go total stream right now, where in the FFPC League, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are carrying two quarterbacks at this time, and it would be a little bit unfortunate to have to just go to a complete streaming um, in in this part of the season. I think that some of those quarterbacks are going to come off rosters, though, as we move into like more heavy bye weeks. And so, I think if Mayfield doesn't end up working out, then... Uh, we'll probably be able to move to streaming a little bit more easily later in the season.
0: Yeah, and let me give my case of why I think he could be a league winner. Uh, and and I say that in you know with the caveat of how much a quarterback can be a league winner. I mean, Mahomes is having you know a historic, like record-breaking, you know, setting pace right now. And even he, like in a standard league where you could trade, like in an instant, I would trade him for say like a second or third round like equivalent, you know, running back or wide receiver. So, you know, the quarterback's, you know, ultimate value is always a little bit muted uh, in a one-quarterback format. But relative to, I think, saving our season – I and I'm as far as they come from being a film watcher, but seeing Baker Bakefield come into the game with no first team practice reps, not be spooked at all, just drop lasers, move the offense, being completely fearless, throwing into tight windows, that showed me a lot about just how he can move forward, even just having one week of you know reps under his belt. So I think that's very promising. I you know everyone's always said that I, I heard someone today say. You know, if you looked, you took the names off the jerseys, and you just looked at the talent that they have on offense, that you would put it up there with some of the best offenses in the league. So, the 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 unknown with Mayfield of what he can do with this offense, obviously Hughes still a concern uh, in how much he can hold them back. But I do really think there is unknown upside here, and it might take a week or two. Even going on the road in Oakland isn't the, the most friendliest uh, environment for your first career start. But I, I'm very excited about Mayfield, and even if it takes a couple games for him to really find his rhythm, I'm confident with the weapons. I'm confident in him as a talent. And I think um, I feel pretty confident that we will ride him most of the season, as opposed to him turning into a say a streamer that you're just kind of dropping and playing by the matchups.
1: Yeah. I, I think that you could be right. And I certainly hope you're right. I guess we've kind of spoiled it here. It's pretty clear that we did end up with Mayfield, but let's get into the, uh, get into the, the thought process that ended up having us land Mayfield. Cause you know, I came back from Barcelona and you're, uh, you're kind of in your like Pepe Silvia uh, like, uh, just gone down the rabbit hole here with, uh, <laughs> You know, you're know, you Charlie Kelly in the mail room from Always Sunny for people <laughs> they didn't get that reference. But um, yeah, you were just like deep in the weeds on like, all right, I you know, and you were talking to Draft Addict and getting some of his thoughts and just uh, had it a, had a really well thought out. Um, you know, I've kind of given you a little crap here, but you had actually gamed it out quite well. Like I didn't really, I wasn't really poking holes in your logic. So I guess talk us through uh, that little experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, my first thought was like, okay, I know we need to get Baker Mayfield. Uh, I want to get him. How much is it going to cost? And so I – one of my first things – I can't actually even take credit for how I arrived at all of this because I started messaging Draft Addict and he pointed me – uh, in the right direction of some key things to look at, which was one who has Tyrod Taylor in our league. It happened to be a guy that already had two other quarterbacks. Then he said, Oh, take a look at who has bye weeks this week. You know, a Cam Newton owner looking for a fill-in or say an Alex Smith owner. Both of those guys were very well set, uh, with quarterbacks. They had Stafford and Watson respectively, Uh, So they were good. So then there's only one other team in our entire league that wasn't carrying two quarterbacks other than us, and that's the Drew Brees owner. Obviously, he's sitting pretty. And so then the next data point I wanted to look at was how much Ryan Fitzpatrick went for last week. And he went for 136 uh, to a team that had two quarterbacks, drop Mariota to fill in for Fitzpatrick. So I thought that was a good baseline number. He, obviously, Fitzpatrick is a guy you have to pick up. He's playing incredibly well, but even that owner, I'm sure, would admit that that could have a very you know short shelf life before Winston comes in. So 136 was like about the minimum. And looking at because there wasn't huge demand, I thought that the 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 floor bid uh, that someone would make just trying to chase his upside would be about $200. So I was thinking low 200s would get it done and – you know, kind of what draft addicts said to me is like you know people go crazy in here um if you are in kind of league saving mode, we didn't have a backup quarterback he's like i wouldn't risk it he was like i would I would do about three hundred dollars to get it done. Ultimately, you and me went back and forth and settled on a bid of two eighty nine which i was I would say like ninety five percent confident that gets it done. And it did. The The next closest bid ended up being just about what I thought, which was at 201. So we could have flirted with it a bit more. I think we, if I wanted to get more dangerous, I maybe would have settled into like a 215 or 220 bid. But when you think about it, saving the extra 60 bucks, 70 bucks, um, ultimately not worth it. Um, I would have been kicking myself if it ended up just being a difference of 60. So I'm happy we got our guy and I'm happy that we did it uh, in the most fiscally prudent way possible.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad with the way it worked out. I think um, – I'm just looking here. I think you had pitched something in the 275 to 310 range. And then I had said let's do something between 280 to 290. And then you proposed 289. So that ended up working out well. And I agree. Like I don't mind that we went with 289. And then I think the next highest bid was 201 because if we had just decided – you know, hypothetically on 200 and lost out it would be, kick, I you know, like we already discussed, you're higher on Mayfield than I am, but I would be really kicking myself if I had talked us out of him by a dollar. Or in another case, I, I could easily have seen someone come in around the 250 range and or even, you know, the 275 range. So I'm happy to have just gone ahead and, and gotten him. Um Maybe it's that there just wasn't really anyone else compelling on waivers. Like, I guess the only way I could, it would sort of be a retrospect thing where like if three or or four weeks from now, there's a, just an obvious running back pickup that we'd want for like, but we know we need like 600 bucks to get them. And now we don't have that. That would stink. But, um, we talked about this too, is that we are kind of stashing running backs already. And, you know, potentially if more running backs become available that are stashes, we're You know, we talked about this last week with Ronald Jones that we want to be snapping those guys up if possible. So, um, you know, hopefully we're already on top of the most obvious, at least uh, running back guys who could pop and we won't be in a situation where we don't feel like we have enough fab later on. So anyway, I, I feel pretty good about the whole thing.
0: right guys wanted to take a quick sec in this episode to tell you guys about fantasy math they're one of our sponsors here on the RotoViz network and what fantasy math does for you is they help you make all those big calls we all have to deal with the start sits we're already you're gonna i already know next week we're gonna have to be deciding between uh josh gordon and bilal powell uh which i think i know where we're gonna go in that direction but if we didn't Fantasy math would help us decide. You know, they take in to look at a player's uh, variability, whether you're the favorite, correlations across your matchup. Fantasy math takes all of that into account. And they're actually uh, giving RotoViz listeners a discount right now. It's a season membership for just $20. You guys can use the link, rotoviz.fantasymath.com. We'll post that in the show notes. Don't miss out. That's rotoviz.fantasymath.com. They will help you out with all your start-sit questions. So we also lost Rex Burkhead. He's a guy, I believe we started him week one. Uh, but we haven't been starting him since. He's been in and out of the lineup, um, been questions about his role, about his health. uh, And now, of course, he was put on IR, which I'm bummed about it. Uh, The reason I'm mainly bummed is because we, during the draft, we had a big decision of Rex Burkhead or Carrion Johnson, and we were both, I don't think either of us were pounding the table one way or the other. I think I remember looking at you and be like, I don't feel strongly either way. I like both of these guys. Obviously, that one stings now with as good as carry-on looked the other night. Uh, They seem like players headed in in opposite directions in (laughs) in Berghead's zero production direction. So that's going to sting a little bit. But it also is a relief in a bit that he's a guy that was a fringe starter for us right now, especially the way they were wanting to feature Sony Michelle. So I feel good that he's not going to be a roster clogger. I guess that would be the silver lining.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the silver lining, and I think the other silver lining is that he's not someone that was really hurting us. You know, he wasn't really in the starting mix for us, and it felt fine. Like it didn't, we didn't feel kind of desperate for him to get back. Um, and so, you know, I guess we drafted well enough elsewhere. At least so far, uh, it, it seems that way. Um, that we can avoid or we can absorb the uh, the Burkehead missed pick there with him going to IR so yeah uh, that one hurts a little bit less than losing Garoppolo
0: yeah and I think right now you know I feel pretty good about our starting lineup uh you know the big one will be if we can get Josh Gordon in the lineup and and performing at a decent level that would allow us to trot out you know four wide receivers you know Diggs Allen Robinson Keelan Cole in Josh Gordon. We could start, you know, Todd Gurley, obviously, with Tevin Coleman, theoretically, as our RB2, Travis Kelsey at tight end. I think our starting lineup um, has a lot of firepower and potential going forward. When you look at our depth, um, our bench, there isn't uh, a lot of current production on it. I think, as you said, we've been stashing some running backs that we hope could turn into producers. But that's the one thing when I look at our bench right now. Um, we're very vulnerable uh, to an injury.
1: Well, I'm I'm surprised in all that to uh, not hear you mention your boy Ricky Seals Jones um, because we've got Josh Rosen coming in here uh, for the Cardinals in the little quarterback change there, and I could see, you know, I, I mean Jesus, he can't be worse than Bradford, right? So that he should be picking up that offense a little bit, and uh, that could be really really good for ricky ricky seals jones who's been really involved in that offense, like way more i think than um either of us expected I, i think it's fair to say like he's he's a you know heavily involved in the offense and um if the offense picks up obviously then then he could stand to benefit quite a bit
0: yeah, I'm I'm excited about Ricky Seal's John. I'm excited about his role in the offense. Like you said, I mean his his market share, you know, relative to the to the other receivers has been really solid. The problem is that Pi is so small. Uh it's one of the worst offenses in the league and the other problem with it is not only is it one of the worst, but part of the reason it's the worst is because they're playing so slow. I think they're bottom five in plays run as a team. So that really concerns me. But yeah, you know, Rosen hopefully can kickstart the offense, uh, maybe be a little more aggressive downfield. But I think there's still similar and kind of, checking uh optimism with Hugh Jackson you know checking optimism with Mike McCoy because you see how he's used David Johnson what they've done with Bradford their pace like everything is so uncreative so dismal so hopefully Rosen does unlock this offense Mike McCoy becomes less stubborn and if that's the case then yeah I could see Ricky Seals Jones being a guy that we fill in uh, as a flex during bye weeks and whose role maybe grows um I would say I'm, uh, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic on that happening, uh, though, right now.
1: I actually kind of am optimistic. It's funny, maybe we've traded places on, on, uh, Rancid Seal Juice here, but it's like, you know, you mentioned them playing slow. I would be playing even slower if I had been starting Bradford, right? It's like, you gotta, you can't, you don't want plays. Like, you, you wanna have, like if you could have like one play decide the whole game, like, and you've got Bradford at quarterback, you you do that, you know. Like if you might as well, if you could have the coin toss decide to the game, you do that. That's a that's a victory for you. Uh, so I just I think that it would make sense that um, if Rosen is able to bring the offense up a notch, hopefully more than one notch, then they might increase the pace a bit. Uh, going to uh, Josh Permsmeyer's airyards.com as we were doing last week. Uh, and looking at the Whopper metric, which is uh, combines target share of uh, raw targets and then uh, market share of air yards, so it is based on share of your offense. Uh, so you know, like you said, Pete, if they're not running as many plays, um, then then that has an effect. But anyway, in terms of guys like with a big role on their team, uh, rookie Seals Jones is eighth in Whopper th- among tight ends through three weeks so he's he's got a really big role like a bigger role for example than jack doyle jimmy graham um he's barely behind rob gronkowski in terms of the the share that he's getting as measured by whopper so yeah i think if the offense picks up then i think then jones could become streamable actually pretty easily just based on the large share he's seeing
0: Yeah, then that'll be. This isn't a great spot for them for Rosen's first start on the road um, at Seattle. Obviously, Seattle hasn't been as intimidating. Still a tough spot. We're actually playing um, the Seahawks defense this week. We picked them up for I think just five bucks, and they seem to be a consensus top three defensive option this week. But yeah, it will still tell us a lot. With are they changing? The pace of play. Are they opening up the playbook with Rosen? And I think that'll give us some more indicators for how bullish we can feel about Ricky Seals Jones uh, going forward. Another guy um, that kind of flew under the radar, but is still, you know, a guy I think we we need and hope to have big things from, and that's Keelan Cole. Um, and even though he didn't have a touchdown against Tennessee in Week Three, he still kind of cemented himself as the the top wide receiver option there. He ran 35 of 37 routes, uh, and he had a season-high nine targets. Um, So that is kind of exactly what we were hoping for, him pulling away uh, with the lead and the target share in that offense. So, man, if we can, like, as our title of this episode was last week, you know, (laughs) Josh Gordon and Keelan Cole to the rescue, we really need those guys to ascend um, and, and collect targets and, and start turning those into fantasy points for us.
1: Yeah. A, a bit of cold water on Cole, uh, is that, you know, he, to your point, like with the target share, nine targets, he had 26% target share. That's really good. Um, but he, uh, and, and, and sorry, I just got to make the good case. He had 39% of the market share of air yards which is also uh, pretty good. But he just had 56 air yards on the day, and I, I think um, it was a tough outing for the Jacksonville passing offense overall. So it's a little hard to know if like last week was him really putting a ton of distance. It's like one of those things where if the offense overall, if the passing offense overall is struggling, then is it like really indicative of who was the leading the leading wide receiver on that day, or is it maybe a little bit more telling when the offense is clicking, who the lead wide receiver was. And if we look in week two, uh, when the offense was clicking against New England, uh, then Moncrief was actually the target leader um, and the leader and market share of air yards. So it's a little bit um, – I think it's a little early to know if Cole has really changed anything from, from what we thought before this week. Certainly I hope that he will pull away, but I guess it's worth mentioning that um, – that we also have Moncrief right now, so uh, we just need one of these guys to emerge.
0: Yeah, I mean Moncrief last game, two receptions, sixteen yards. Um, so yeah, I I I I trust that uh, that Cole's talent will continue to emerge. But yeah, probably need to see another week or two of that trend developing. It is interesting to note though. Uh, I read that it. This seems crazy to me, but they are the game script adjusted past heaviest unit they're 13 points above expectation Hmm. which you just wouldn't have thought for the jags uh so yeah when the not at all when the game script uh is dictating to pass they they seem willing to let bortles air it out which i think would be one of the knocks against them just you know in a vacuum like oh they're just going to ram Fournette down but um if they are getting down in games uh that should bode well for us but then you see games like they had against tennessee where it's just a A slugfest and and no one can really get going but uh yeah i'm gonna be keeping close tabs on that offense who do they play this week they play um oh the jets so yeah i guess that could go either way as far as like a shootout or or a gross game but yeah hopefully cole pulls away um yeah so what else uh, are we looking at here uh heading into week four we're obviously we're recording this on thursday night during the thursday night football game we're off to a decent start here the the rams uh putting up a ton of points um Gurley got a, a touchdown in the first half Diggs having a solid uh game as well so yeah hopefully these two guys can get us uh, in a nice spot set up for sunday
1: yeah, it's, it's a shootout, just as you would have expected uh, when the season started. These two highly uh, drafted defenses, um, and yet they play each other in week four, and it's a total shootout. Uh, Stephon Diggs got us 13 points in the first half, seven receptions for 61 yards, and he's basically the wide receiver three on his team right now with Aldrick Robinson having two touchdowns and uh, Adam Thielen. Uh, I don't have the latest target numbers up, but he's just been – just looked at constantly, uh, in the first half here. So pretty, pretty wild. Uh, hopefully Diggs can, uh, get in the end zone in the second half for us, or, uh, at least, uh, emerge a little bit more targeted. Um, you know, although, you know, a decent stat line here still seven or seven, six, one yards and a half. So yeah,
0: nice after that flop against Buffalo last week, where I, I think, what what did he have? Like three catches for 14 yards or something pretty, pretty poor and he has shown that propensity to be a little boom bust so uh, yeah i'm definitely excited just to see him have these seven receptions and watching that game you know they are using him with some of these little quick passes out oops sorry um (laughs) what the hell some pop-up um they are using him in the flat and getting creative with him. It's not like he's just like on an island running nine routes, and if he's not open, right. then he's not scoring. So I like seeing him get involved. The in wide the,
1: receiver screens and stuff.
0: Yeah, because obviously Thielen has been the the first look for, for Cousins yeah. in that offense and has been a PPR machine. So if Diggs can balance the big plays with some of that um, kind of more simple usage, that'll really give his fantasy uh, points a floor.
1: Yeah, and we're going up this week against the owner of Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown and Drew Brees. Um, so, you know, could be a tough week for us. So we, we probably need every point we can get. Um, any thoughts on Antonio Brown, on him just sort of, you know, the Juju Antonio Brown thing? Um, I, I guess it would be nice if, if Antonio Brown doesn't return to his classic form this week, right?
0: Yeah, uh yeah, that's that's tough to know. I feel like, you know, they are at home. Uh obviously B- Big Ben's uh home road splits are well known and uh Pittsburgh's defense ha- or uh sorry, Baltimore's defense hasn't been that great in the back end. So Antonio Brown's always scary, but yeah, like you said, I mean, <laughs> Juju sure looks like the first read in that offense right now uh he's just been such a beast so hopefully we can get one more quiet game from antonio brown it's uh you you know when you look at michael thomas and you're going against him and i guess antonio brown too it just feels like best case scenario is death by a thousand cuts i mean they're just going to get peppered with targets and you basically just have to pray that you fade the big play or the multi-touchdown game
1: yeah yeah i think the thing that scares me i'm just poking around on on airyards.com again and brown is fourth in the league in uh air yards uh and he's got just terrible efficiency on the year which is not what you would expect from brown and it's probably uh unless he's got an injury we don't know about uh an anomaly so that the thing that worries me is he's actually been heavily involved and just hasn't converted where uh he's actually been much more involved than uh Juju. It just doesn't seem that way because Juju's converting at a very high rate. Yeah. And, and Brown is not.
0: I will actually say, yeah. The the names we mentioned, Breeze, Brown, Thomas, those are obviously some of the scariest names to see on your opponent's team. But the rest of his team isn't that scary to me. He has a couple game script dependent running backs and Chris Ivory and Alex Collins. He has Deshaun Jackson going up against the Bears. Um, everyone's kind of thinking that yeah. the pass rush could really give Fitzpatrick problems, so he's obviously a little boom bust. Chris Hogan has been quiet now, he's probably, I would assume, going to get Xavier Howard treatment, uh, who's been a shutdown corner. And even if he doesn't, um, a lot of weapons coming back uh, in the fold there with Josh Gordon, you know, lots of places to go with the ball, and then Rhett Ellison at tight end, very thin start. For him, obviously, could you know get a few catches, but I don't see a ceiling there. So I'm hopeful if if Gurley and Diggs can keep rolling, that we might even be able to withstand big games from Brown and Thomas, just based on the rest of his roster.
1: Yeah. Um, before we we leave it, I I guess that's uh I just wanted to get your thoughts on Gordon as uh you know the in house Patriots fan. So when <laughs> in the morning when you're cracking open the Boston Globe and, and reading uh, your your Boston sports section as you're you know, usual morning routine. Um what are you what are you gathering? What have you heard about Gordon and and when can we expect him to start uh catching up to Jarvis Landry in our famous uh hundred dollar bet.
0: Yeah, I was actually talking uh the trash man swung by the other day and was picking up my trash and I was just talking to him about the Pats out front for about thirty minutes. Um and he seems to really right. yeah. Now um I I need to you know, as much as I'd love to yellow it and put him in the lineup uh, right away, I definitely wanna <laughs> I want to see it. Um, I mean, just oh, yeah. Paulson has him not even he has him like ranked 178 in his like flex rankings. So, you know, obviously can't use him this week. But yeah, I am I'm feeling cautiously optimistic just seeing how badly this offense needs a spark. I mean, they looked awful against the Lions. The play calling was incredibly uncreative. They're ramming Sony Michelle. Uh, up the middle i i really hope that at the very least josh gordon can come in and open up the offense but you know obviously for our interest be someone that um is making big plays that they're using uh in different ways and i i think he will i i think if if all the off the field stuff and his you know mental health stays in in good shape I think he will be a factor I don't I'm not gonna go like league winner he's gonna be a Randy Moss top five receiver down the stretch kind of thing but I am uh, optimistic he can give us some big plays in this offense
1: awesome I think that's enough like already with with Gordon still the potential to be a, a producer for us as our I guess fifth, fifth round pick and then Allen Robinson working out pretty nicely as our fourth round pick that's probably like we've already locked in the best fourth and fifth round pick that we've ever had <laughs> with those two. So no, Alan, you know.
0: I wasn't, you were way more on Alan Robinson than I was. I I guess I would say it was more, I just, there was so, I liked guys that weren't going to make it to us more. You know, I was really, uh, but obviously like Juju and, and Jarvis Landry. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, well, Juju especially. But yeah. Alan Robinson has been a, a great pick in this week. He's actually number one in, in Hermsmeyer's, uh, air yards by low model. Uh, Trubisky seems to love him. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Allen Robinson. It, it feels like a, a big, a big game is coming for him here soon yeah. beyond just the kind of the, the short targets.
1: Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's getting a ton of volume as, as that, uh, by air yards by low model is telling you so, um, and not, not converting it. As much as you would expect. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited about Robinson going forward. But uh, but yeah, I think if Gordon becomes something, then we're we're looking pretty good. So even though this is the third year in a row that we started one and two, um, also the third year in a row we started zero and one and one and one. So so far, same old story. But uh, maybe we can break the mold here because if we win this week, be the first year that we. Are two and two after four weeks. So
0: in one thing, I should say, you know, it was a little scary. We lost Garoppolo, lost Burkhead, dropped to one and two. It's like, oh no, is this the same old fantasy land stuff? When you look at our points, um, which also factor into one of those wild card playoff spots, we're at four thirty six, which is right in the thick of it um with the the first place team has four ninety four but even the second place team beyond that only has four fifty five so you know we are we're right in the thick of it with everyone else we don't have to worry so much about the win loss right now uh as long as we keep putting up points uh I think we'll be in good shape and i, I think we're positioned to do that
1: yeah, and that's a great point normally associated with our one and two start is very little points so
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> we're making progress Pete yeah I mean
0: there actually is a yeah, a team that's 0 three that has 415 points, so it just shows that you know everyone uh, is performing uh, pretty well in these next few weeks with the buy hits this will where, this will be where we really start to separate the you know the pretenders from the contenders, if you will. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's edition of the High Stakes Diaries. If you guys have not subscribed to this feed on iTunes, please do so. You can find that on iTunes or anywhere you subscribe to podcast apps. Let us know on Twitter what you think of some of our moves, uh, where you think we're messing up, any thoughts you have about our team. You can find me on Twitter at Peter Overzet. You can find Pat at Pat Karain, and we will continue to, uh, to drop into your feeds every Saturday morning as we continue throughout the season and try to get some more W's.